Thank you. Y'all standing was about as weird as if you got a standing ovation in your kitchen coming down the stairs. That was strange. So thank you for the warm welcome. I really appreciate it, Pastor Eddie. Oh, wow. Wow. Five years or four years, four years ago. Uh, last month, my family and I moved to Denver, Colorado, a city we didn't know, hadn't even vacationed in. I'm completely irrelevant to because anything that would build credibility in Denver, Colorado, I am not. Um, and so, uh, except for white, maybe that was, maybe, maybe that was helpful. Um, you know, the, the 2010 census said it was very, very diverse, which is part of the reason we were excited to go, because like in Grace Covenant, we wanted to establish a church that looks like heaven. Uh, and I was, uh, we got there and we were surprised to learn that it, was the, it became the second most gentrified city in the United States. And so that was uh, disconcerting. It was confusing. Uh, but God is still establishing a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural church in downtown Denver, Colorado. And um, so just by way of update, I want to let you know that uh, everything that God has done and established in Grace Covenant Church through all the years, he has begun in Denver, Colorado. And it is a light in the darkness, and it's proclaiming the glory of Jesus and our unity and our love for one another. And uh, God is proving himself to be so, so good, like the song. And um, so thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support and all the ways that you've encouraged and supported us over these last four years. Uh, I do look forward to sharing more good news about the great things that God continues to do there. Um, you know, before I jump into the message, I do, Pastor Eddie, you, you prophesied after the first song about, uh, you know, the faith level was high, but God wanted to do he wanted to do business right now and to have an expectation for that. And I just want to echo that. And, you know, because sometimes, you know, prophecy can come so freely and revelation from God can come so quickly that we forget uh, to uh, pay attention to that reality. And you probably have already forgotten because of all the other business that we've done between that moment and this moment. But I want to remind you again of the word that he spoke after that first song. I had a real profound sense this morning as I was praying for you all that uh, some of you have been through seasons that are not making any sense at all. It's been confusing. It's been disorienting. Uh, you knew you were sent by God to a task, but the result of the task isn't making sense and it's not resolving as quickly as it had in your mind and your imagination and in your plan. But I want to assure you that God is, he didn't accidentally send you on that mission. It was very much on purpose. And God's purpose in this senseless season, God's purpose in this senseless mission is to bring you into an encounter with him that will put all of it back into perspective and reorient your heart and mind into everything that God has for you in the next season. Uh, but it ties to what Pastor Eddie was saying. It's like, I think God wants an encounter with you where he's going to clarify both the mission and the season. And so it can fall into, fall into place. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy on the other side. Sometimes when you get the revelation, it continues to be difficult. But, uh, but at least he wants to bring understanding and breakthrough in your soul. I just feel like that's from the Spirit of God. Um, not the message I'm going to preach. It has nothing to do with the message I'm going to preach. If you're smarter than me, you can tie it together. Um, but today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And my, my goal today is not to wow you, it's not to amaze you, but to remind you of a basic, simple truth about the call of God. 
As I was remembering, or as I was praying for this sermon, I remembered a story about a, a little boy, we'll call him Johnny. Johnny went to his parents' farm, and his, or his grandparents' farm, and they gave him a slingshot, and Johnny was running all over the woods, shooting the slingshot, setting up cans and missing. He couldn't hit the broadside of a barn to save his life, and discouraged with his lack of, of marksmanship, little Johnny headed back towards the house, and as he was nearing the house, he saw Grandma's duck, and out of frustration, he just unloaded a rock in the direction of the duck because he can't hit anything anyway. Uh, but he finally hit what he was aiming at, and he killed Grandma's duck. <laughs> Little Johnny takes Grandma's duck and hides it behind the woodpile and uh, hurries into the house for dinner where he's met by his sister who lets him know that she saw what happened. Uh, so they're sitting at dinner. Johnny's terrified. He's sick to his stomach, doesn't eat much. And after dinner, Grandma says, well, Susie, it's time for you to clean the dishes. And she goes, oh, no, I think Johnny wants to do it tonight. <laughs> and so Johnny does the dishes for Grandma. And then the next morning, they wake up, and they're doing the chores. And, and Grandma says, well, Johnny, it's your turn to go into town with me today. And, and little Susie goes, no, 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 I think, I think Johnny said he wanted to do my chores today. I get to go into town with you for the chores and the candy and the treats today. And Johnny said, yeah, that's right. So he stayed home, and he did all the chores. This continued for a number of days until finally Johnny couldn't take it anymore. And he goes to Grandma. He's Grandma. I can't live this way anymore. He goes, I got to let you know I killed the duck. I killed it. And it was an accident. It wasn't on purpose. I hid it behind the wood pile. Susie saw it. She's made me her slave. This is terrible. I hate my sister, and I hate myself, and I hate this life. And, and she goes, oh, Johnny. She goes, I know. I was looking out the window. <laughs> I saw it all happen. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, I was just waiting to see how long you were going to let Susie mess with your head and keep you from everything that I wanted to give you. The reality is, I think that uh, the unfortunate reality is that sometimes I think many of us live our Christian lives in this way. We're ashamed of our sin. We're ashamed of the, duck, the ducks we've killed, of our internet browser history. We're ashamed of the relationships that have fallen apart. Maybe it's the thing you stole from a store when you were a kid. That candy bar just nags you. The things that we've done that we know have grieved the heart of God and lived below the standard that we know that we were invited to live in, they nag us and they haunt us, and we bring that nagging and haunting into our Christian life, doing everything we can to appease God laboring, serving, if I read my Bible enough, if I show up at enough third Friday prayer meetings, if I show up at enough church services, if I serve enough children, maybe it would appease the guilt and the shame. All the while, God's been waiting for us to come to the throne of grace to confess our sin, our weakness, our doubt, our unbelief, so that he can let us know, I knew it all along, and welcome us into the family as the faithful father did the prodigal son by putting a new robe on us, by giving us a ring, by kissing us and welcoming us back into the family of God. There's a vibrant Christian life that awaits us that many of us never enter into because we're so busy trying to cover up the dead duck. And today I want to remind you, maybe for the first time, but many of you for the second, third, or thousandth time, of three critical elements to the Christian, the vibrant Christian life. And that's that we would follow Jesus. 
with God's people on the mission of God. Follow Jesus with God's people on the mission of God. If it sounds familiar, it's because it's your three E's that you would encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom of God. This all comes from Matthew chapter 4, 19, which if you go ahead and put up uh, the verse, we'll, uh, do you guys stand for the reading of scripture? How do you guys do this now? Yeah, go ahead and stand to your feet. Do you all read it together? Let's go. It's easy. It's one verse. I once made the congregation in Denver read almost a chapter. It was an endurance challenge. So um, Matthew 4.19 says this, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word that divides that between bone and marrow, that brings forth a revelation of your goodness, that confronts us in all the ways that we need to be confronted by your righteousness, by your justice, by your mercy and compassion. I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts tonight, to this morning, to hear from you, to respond with faith in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated. So the vibrant Christian life is found in these three ways. And if you don't see those three ways in this verse, I'll unpack that as we go. Let's talk about following Jesus. The come follow me, uh, as much as we like to call it an invitation, is really in the original language a command. God isn't saying, come follow me, I'm lonely, I'd like for you to come to my party because I've got nothing else going on. Instead, in the original language, he commands them to follow him because he knows that he has what they need the most. He knows that coming and following him will introduce them to the life that they've been trying to achieve and accomplish by every other means. And maybe you've been in this place where you feel the drawing of God and you're like, oh, I, maybe I will, maybe I'll draw closer. But what you might be missing is that God doesn't just invite us. He commands us and calls to the deepest parts of us to draw close to him so that we can experience the fullness of life that he's created us for. He wants us to, to follow him, not just intellectually, not just with our time, not just with our giving, not just with our, with our, our, our intellect, or, uh, but he wants us to fully give over the fullness of ourselves. Our, the, the, he, to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength is to surrender our, our emotions, our will, our soul. It's to, it's to surrender up our bodies as living sacrifices to God to say, I'm not just giving you my mind and my reading and my, and my thinking time, but I'm giving you my body and I surrender my body to you and to your purposes. God, I'm not just giving you my body, but I'm also giving you uh, my, my spirit, God, for you to resurrect me, to save me, to redeem me, to restore me, to transform me from the innermost parts to the outermost parts. God, here is the whole of me. Take all of me. That's the invitation to come follow him. It's not just, you know, a, call, a follow on Instagram or a social media costs and takes nothing to follow Jesus, costs everything. You know what they found is that uh, through a study that was done in the early 2000s was that, that uh, the healthiest Christians uh, don't, there's, there's no correlation between a healthy Christian and the type of worship service that they attend, contemporary or traditional. 
It's not the style of worship, whether you do hymns or songs like we did today. It's not whether the church is spirit-filled or not spirit-filled. It's not whether or not uh, you have a congregational model of leadership or a presbytery or an Episcopal model of eldership. It's, it's not that. It's not the size of the church, whether you're at a mega church or a minor church, a mini church, mega, mini, mini, or somewhere in between. It has nothing to do with the style of preaching, if it's going to be expository verse by verse, or if it's going to be topical, or if it's going to be just kind of general ideas shared from Scripture for the sake and the building up of the church. The, the health of a Christian is dependent on these things. Does the person read their Bible? Does the person have their own prayer life? Does the person worship in their own time? Does the person give financially to the church by surrendering their, their resources to God? Does that person also build their own relationships? More on that in just a minute. And does the person share the goodness of God with those who are not currently walking with God? More to come on that in a moment. But those first expressions are called spiritual disciplines, and they're, they're a grace of God given to us to aid us in the following of Jesus, to help direct us on the path and to ascertain the directions that God would have us go. He's given us the gift of Scripture so that we can study it and discover God's heart and mind in written form in a very concrete way. So it doesn't, it's not just all floating out there and kind of esoteric and I feel God leading me. It's like, no, 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 like in the Word, He leads us and guides us and directs us. He, he, he challenges us. He teaches us. He instructs us. The Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, is profitable for... Instruction, teaching, training in righteousness for rebuke and correction. I think I added one, but it's good for that too. Just synonyms. He's given us these things to aid you in the following of Jesus. I would encourage you today, Christians, that if you have not yet discovered how to read your Bible so that you can more, more willingly and accurately follow the Jesus that we proclaim... Crack it open. You've got leaders here in this house who can help you discover how to read the Bible. You have people who have been walking with Jesus for years who can help you unpack the, the challenges and the apparent contradictions and the difficulties that come, the weird stuff that you stumble on when you read the Bible. You know how I know when somebody's reading their Bible? They ask amazing questions, weird ones, things I've never seen before. One of the questions came from somebody in this congregation. They came to me one Sunday morning and they were like, what's with the zombies? What is with the zombies after the death of Jesus? And I was like, that's an amazing question. I'm glad you found it. I don't know. Ask Pastor Eddie. <laughs> that was legit my answer. I love it when people are reading the Bible because they're like, what's with strange fire? And what's, I didn't know there was an Obadiah in the Bible. Who's he? Developing and cultivating your own prayer life, your opportunity to, to talk with Jesus and for Jesus to talk to you. It's not just a, a one-way upload, but there's a download that happens at the same time. To worship and pour your heart out before God and to, to have the opportunity to, on the regular basis, bring yourself to the throne of grace and say, God, you're worthy of everything that I, I have and everything that I am. You're more worthy than, than the other things that I give my life to. You're more worthy than the commanders. You're more worthy than the nationals. You're more worthy. You're more worthy. 
than any other thing that I would give my time, my money, my affection, my celebration to. But nobody, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that for you. Now, there's an interesting relationship between following Jesus and the other two things that, that reveal the vibrant Christian life or, or cultivate the opportunity for the vibrant Christian life. And that's that it has to come first in order to set the priority for the next two. Because if we don't first follow Jesus, then we try and make relationships something of our, of our own design or desire. or We built it on our own needs. And the church can become, the, our relationships can become something that, that we try and, and invite them to heal all of our hurts and to carry all of our burdens and to hide all of our sins and to, rest, to do all the work of restoration and transformation. And we put our dependency on the people instead of our dependency on God first. The other thing that can happen if we don't follow Jesus first is we can make the mission of God something of our own mission and we can confuse the priorities and we think that because it's on my heart, it's on God's heart. And we can make it about the many things that hold priority in our mind and miss the priority of God in a moment or for a lifetime. So the first one has to come first. Following Jesus must precede the other. And the spiritual disciplines that we give ourselves to, they don't, they, they, that we allow to cultivate more faith inside of us, uh, it doesn't save us, it, it, but, but what it does is it keeps us in the best place to remember the saving power of the lover of our soul and the one who can transform us. It puts us in the best place for God to do what God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes what we, what we want for God, we, we, like, we feel like Christianity is broken because we're not experiencing transformation, but it's because we forgot, we forgot to do the things that Jesus invites us and commands us to do. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I, see, it in my, you know, I see it in my own life, if I'm, if I'm quite honest. It's easy, it's not, even as a pastor, it's easy to get distracted by the many things of life. Marriage and kids and bills and traffic and, and pri like just life. Life is busy and it's full and it's chaotic. And you can kind of start to drift and you're like, man, I'm, my heart is, is angsty. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm, like, I'm, I'm confused. I'm disgusted. I'm resentful. Like what are all these things kind of coming up in my soul? And he's like, follow me. And I'm happy following him. And then I see my neighbor has a second house. And then I'm like, oh, man, come on. And he's like, follow me. And then I see my neighbors go on an amazing vacation to Europe. And I'm like, and, and I'm like oh, come on, I'd love to go to, follow me. And I'm like, oh, but, but the elections and it's chaotic and it's everybody's mad and everybody's yelling at each other. Follow me. In John chapter 20, Peter has this amazing moment with Jesus where, where <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, uh, Peter, you're going to die for me. And it's going to be awful. Your life following me is going to end in absolute chaos. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm ready for that, Jesus. And then Jesus turns to another disciple and he's like, hey, you're going to write a really cool book. And Peter's like, hold up. <laughs> hold up. Can I write a book? Can I get that promotion? 
Can I get that car? Can I get that house? Can I get that opportunity? Can I give the offering message? Can I preach? Can I lead worship? Can I be, can I be the leader? Can I get the nice, neat things? Can I get the amazing things? And Jesus is like, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. Follow me. The command to follow Jesus doesn't expire. It doesn't expire when it doesn't go well. It doesn't expire when it's hard. It doesn't expire when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't expire when somebody else is invited to follow Jesus, commanded even in a way that, that, that is enviable to you. The command to Jesus never expires. And I want you to hear the invitation of Christ today saying, come, follow me. Come follow the lover of your soul, come follow the one who will transform your heart, your mind, your soul so that you can worship and fulfill the purpose he's created you for. Come follow him. All right, I spent too much time on that. So, uh, so uh, with the people of God, with the people of God. So, so you got, you've got follow me, right? Follow me. Say follow me. Actually, don't, don't say it. Say follow him. I will follow you, Jesus. There we go. You're following Jesus. And in the body of Jesus, you're going to hear some people echoing what Jesus says. That's what Sunday morning does. Every Sunday, that's what your, your small groups do. That's what the prayer meetings do. That's what books on the Bible do. Sermons aren't the substance of Christ's words. It points to them. It should leave you pretty hungry to go seek it out for yourself. Right? And the body does that. It points back to the glory of Jesus so that you go get more Jesus for yourself. Because that's the only way you'll be spiritually healthy. That's the only way you'll have a vibrant Christian life. But for those of us who just chase after Jesus and think that we can do that without the people, we're missing out on something really important. Because the word disciple is used 260 times in the New Testament, at least in 250 times it's plural. And the times that the plural word isn't used, it's word to describe someone who's among the disciples. So if we're trying to do just Jesus thing without the people thing, we're doing something different than the Jesus thing because Jesus seems to be putting people together all the time. He doesn't talk about Abraham because Abraham's amazing and he stands alone. He talks about Abraham. Why? Because his descendants were going to be what? As the stars in the sky. There was going to be multiplication because where we see individuals and we see myself and we see our purpose, God sees families. God sees stars. He sees generations. He sees uncalculable numbers of people. So that, that 250 times that a disciple is mentioned, it's Timothy, it's Ananias, it's somebody else. And, and, and so it's, it's people who are among the disciples. And so I would venture to say if we're doing Christianity by ourselves, we're doing something a little different than Christianity. Scary, right? Jesus invites us to walk with each other because in each other we're reminded of the image of God and we're reminded that we're not the sole image of God. I need to walk with people who think differently, who believe differently, who are challenged differently so that I can believe differently, think differently, and live differently towards the glory of God, towards his purpose, towards his goodness, towards his kindness. 
You know, the Bible wasn't even written to one person. The Bible it regularly is written to groups of people. Even when the Bible is like a book of the Bible is mentioned to a specific person, it was shared with everybody. Titus, First and Second Timothy, Philemon. These books were written and shared with the body because they had the wisdom to understand, oh, no, no, if it's for me, it's for we. If it's for me, it's for we. And part of the reason we don't experience the vibrant Christian life is because we get a revelation from God and he speaks to us and transforms us and then we keep it for me and the we misses. And some of the goodness of God is revealed as we share the me with the we. And won't ever be understood until you teach it to someone else. I'm veering into the, the mission. There's so much I want to say. There are, uh, you know, a zebra, or a zebra in much of the world, all by itself is really just an appetizer. Look at that camouflage God gave it. Like, like God's like, God's like, chameleons, you'll change color to be in your surroundings. Snakes, you're going to look like the rocks that you're going to live in, that you're going to live among. Zebra, zebra, you're going to stand out. It's trouble if you're a zebra all by yourself. Because like us, the zebra wasn't meant to stand alone. Because what happens with the zebra's camouflage is that it, it is actually camouflaged when it's with the herd. So if you get a group of zebras, now all of a sudden it's confusing to a predator. Now when the predator wants to come, he's like, I can't tell where the head is and where the butt is. I'm not quite sure what to chase. It gets even more confusing when they start moving. What did Jesus say would be the sign of the believers? It wasn't going to be, they will know you by your love for me. It won't be that I will know you by your love for yourself. He said, they will know you by your love one for another. And when we stand together, it's going to confuse the enemy. When we stand together and when you're in the herd and you find yourself in the herd, all of a sudden you realize that, that this, is, this confounds the enemy because we're standing together in the midst of opposition. It confounds the enemy because he can't tell. He can't tell it apart between Colleen and Jermaine and Pastor Eddie. He can't tell it apart between Pablo and, and Mark. He can't tell it apart between John Patton and Paul Guyer. He can't tell it apart when we stand together. We'll go back to that other slide. When we let the enemy scare us away. I haven't confirmed this, but I think the word zebra probably translates roughly to appetizer. <laughs> when we stand alone, we're an appetizer. When we stand together, we're a force. The zebra wasn't designed to blend into the world around it. It was meant to live with the other zebras as a source of strength and encouragement and safety. Okay. So we're all zebras. Zebras. 
I'll say this quickly. I'm, you might be feeling like, but I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> like, I don't like the zebras around me. Or in fact, I feel more like a giraffe. I'm better than the zebras. I got good news. God loves to use the idiots of the world to confound the wise. He loves to use the foolish things of the world, Paul says, to confound the wise. There's nothing more confusing than a herd that would be made up of zebras, giraffes, oxen. I don't know what else lives in Africa. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to start listing animals that from South America. Show my ignorance. We'll keep going. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warns us that those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself will become destroyers of the Christian community. Even though their personal intentions ever so, may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. That's why it's so critical that we go to Jesus first because he's going to tell us where we're supposed to be and then sustain us in the place that he's called us to be for our benefit and for his glory. So when your small group leader is a little offensive to you or when you find yourself struggling with difficulty in a, in, in a relationship, you can't just write it off as not God's design for you because it's not pleasing or easy or simple. You know, most of Paul's letters were dealing with relational tension and difficulty because anytime you bring people together, that's going to exist. Paul was taking a lot of effort to say, no, no, this is how we're going to relate together. Okay, finally, lastly, we got to get on his mission. Uh, we do not have permission, even as the people of God, to fully define the mission of God. He does that. Now, we get to, we have the privilege as followers of Jesus and as local communities and bodies of believers to kind of uh, respond to the grace of God and to respond to the Holy Spirit and follow him in the expression that he's called us to be. So Grace Covenant has a unique expression that includes going to Cuba. Grace Covenant has a unique expression that includes the next generation, college ministry and children's ministries and youth ministries, prioritizing the cultivation of the faith of the next generation that's unique to Grace Covenant Church. I, I want it for everybody, but people are going to do it in different measure, in different volume. You know, our church in Boston only has like 10 or 12% kids in their, in, their, in their church congregation. You guys are probably double that or more because of what God has called you to do together as a people. And so while we don't get to define it as a, as a group of people, you kind of choose, you, you kind of hear from God and you respond to the spirit of God and you move together because we can't do it all. We were never designed to do it all. We were never designed to be it all, but each members of a body functioning appropriately within the body so that the work and mission of God can be accomplished through the people of God. But while we don't have the permission to define it, what we have is the opportunity to participate in it and give ourselves to it. If we define it on our own, you might make it about planting trees. 
not less than that. If you define it on your own, you could make it about clean water projects. It's not less than that. It could definitely be a priority. You could make it only about the church in Cuba in the missions trips, in short-term missions trips. Or you could make it only about kids' ministry or only about campus ministry. You could make it only about certain things and, and, and miss the fact that God's desire for his church is gloriously more than that. It's about establishing and revealing the kingdom of heaven in all sorts of ways. And our command and through this and our invitation with him is to join him in what he's been doing ever since the garden making a people for himself that will reveal his goodness, his loving kindness, his justice, his righteousness, his mercy, his compassion to all of creation. We're the only ones in all of creation that bear his image. And he's like, use my image well, go reflect it. Does the uh, worship team come up at the end or keys or something? It'll make me stop if he comes up. <laughs> I'm so, I'm like, I'm having, I'm like, we're just gonna, so, <laughs> <laughs> so the mission of <laughs> the mission of God is to is to is to join him in what he's been doing from the very beginning and even when it was fractured what did Jesus do after the fall he said I'm coming for you Oh I'm coming for you and what did he do he comes through us he comes for us all through the Old Testament. I'm chasing after you. I'm sending you a prophet to call you back. I'm sending out another prophet to call you. Oh, you're going to kill him? I'll send you another prophet to call you back. This is too important. You're going to kill him? I'll send you another prophet to call you back. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And then in Luke, he's like, how many times I wanted to come to you and gather you under my wings in Luke chapter 13. And then you see that he's calling them and calling them and calling them. And then he gets up on the cross and he's like, forgive them, God, because they don't know what they're rejecting. They don't know what they've been doing. They don't know that to choose this instead of me is to reject you. They don't understand that. Forgive them. He's been about this and then, and then he's like, okay, it'll be like a wedding and, and that's too much, no time for that. Wedding illustrations all through scripture. It's amazing. It'll blow your mind. And then, and then you realize there's this wedding feast in, in Revelation and you realize that, that Jesus interrupts this feast riding on a horse You know, you thought like, you know, I'm going to, like, I, I didn't actually see Game of Thrones, but I read about an episode. They called it the wedding, and it was like really violent and lots of blood. And I mean, Jesus interrupts his wedding on a white horse, ready for war, <laughs> at a wedding. All right, Jesus. He's serious. He's serious about his mission and he's inviting us to be a part of it. So how do we participate in this great mission of God? Uh, we, 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 it starts, again, we gotta follow Jesus. You gotta get with the people of God. And this is where I was a little bit confused and I talked to somebody about it and fight over this at lunch or whenever you talk you know, to people. I can't decide, quite honestly, if the mission of God comes first or the people of God come first, but you definitely need both of them. You definitely need both because like the mission of God, the, the, the mission of God will put you with people so if you, if you follow Jesus and he, you get clear on the mission, he's going to give you a people. And I've seen this happen. And then the people keep you on the mission and clarify the mission and keep you from running off and doing your own thing. But it also works the other way around where following God gives us a people and the people help us understand our purpose and there's the mission. Chicken or egg? I'm not sure. Pastor Eddie, you can fix it or you can decide at lunch. 
So how do we do this? Have you ever stopped to consider the reality that every single one of us is here this morning because somebody talked to us about Jesus? I mean, it's a simple thought. Like, you know, like I, I set it up like it was going to be like, whoa. <laughs> no, like just... My parents were led to Jesus in Manhattan, Kansas, K-State University, because somebody talked to them. It might have been you, Pastor Duke. I know that you were there when my parents first came to Jesus. But somebody talked to them about Jesus. Somebody talked to them about Jesus. And if you trace this out, it probably goes all the way back to like Jesus who walked in Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? Like, you know, like you see a famous person at an airport and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I saw that famous person. Maybe I talked to a famous, maybe you are a famous person. But like, I, I've, I've, I've heard people talk about the famous people they've seen or the people, I've, I've heard people talk about the famous people that they know that know famous people. I, you know, you can sit in a conversation, it can go four degrees, right? Like, they're the like, oh, my friend's cousin, their nephew is married to someone who knows Beyonce. And you're like, cool story. That's awesome. But if you chase it back, we are descendants of the most extraordinary story ever told. And it's our privilege and it's our opportunity to join Jesus in continuing to tell that story. Like from Jesus, like Peter could be your great, 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 like person or Stephen or Paul or Luke. Now, there are people who did just read scripture and then believe that happens. In the Middle East, people are having dreams where Jesus is showing up to them and calling them to repentance all the time. So there are interruptions in this, but that just comes straight from Jesus. That just comes straight from the Spirit of God. So as like it's not disappointing. It's not like, oh man, mine only traces back to 1820 when Jedediah had a revelation from God, you know, and, and he, was like, like he was looking at the trees and decided to worship Jehovah. Like, like, he's like, Yahweh is the true God. And you're like, that's not disappointing. But you've received your faith and it's our privilege and our opportunity to join Jesus in becoming fishers of men and continuing the advancement of the kingdom by inviting more people into the net by echoing the command of Jesus to come follow. The thing that our souls long for is Jesus himself. And that's why it's such a blessed command. And that's why we run from it sometimes. Because we know the invitation to come follow me is going to be costly. Like I'd rather leave the duck behind the wood pile. I'd rather bury it deep. I'd rather not acknowledge that I even had the slingshot. I just want to go home. We miss out on the mercy, the compassion, and the goodness of God. And when we don't share it, when we don't join Jesus in his great mission of doing this, we withhold the opportunity from our culture, from our coworkers, from our friends, from our family members, to receive the same mercy and grace that we have the privilege of drinking so deeply of.
The second way, and I'll land, is to make things, to be a culture maker. Uh, this guy, uh, Crouch, I think is his name, wrote a book on, on Christians' uh, responsibility in culture, and he's like, we should be making culture. You can, you can uh, criticize it. You can consume like like oh that's you yucky gross they're bad they don't do a good job or you can consume it and just take it as it comes you can just watch everything on Netflix and just just eat it all up you can condemn it and be like everything on Netflix is the devil or you can create culture and make good food and good art make good spreadsheets for the glory of Jesus A good spreadsheet is balanced (laughs) and honest. Make beautiful things. Make good friendships. Make healthy families. Make moments of praise and worship a part of your life. Make the gift of reading your Bible a regular part of your human experience so that in the rest of your human experience, the word of God overflows from you. Make culture. Make beautiful pictures. Make amazing small groups. Make great kids ministry moments. Make great campus ministry moments. Make great moments in Cuba for the glory of God. Be a culture maker for the glory of God. Figure out how to, if you're a builder, build things for the glory of God. If you're an accountant, account for the glory of God in everything that you do. If you're a teacher, teach people about the goodness of God in everything that you do and let the Holy Spirit work through you in whatever whatever weird weaves you have to do in today's society to build a relationship with someone in a context where you can't preach the gospel let your let your life overflow with the things of God so it's undeniable that there's something different with you so that when you get the opportunity to tell them and words are always necessary you can say come with me I got to show you something the vibrant Christian life y'all Typically what's happening is we've got two out of three of them. We got a lot of relationship and a lot of mission, but we forget about Jesus. Or we got a lot of Jesus and we forget about relationship and we try and go on the mission. Or we do whatever the third option was. And, we, <laughs> and we're like, my Christi- Christianity's broken. It's like, no, our relationship to it is broken. Our relationship to it's broken. So I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus. This is just a reminder to to pursue the vibrant Christian life and not just the Sunday morning only life. God wants more for you than that. God wants more for you than that. Not because he's not sufficient. But because he desires for you to join him in what he's been doing from the very beginning. Making a people for himself. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I, I don't know the different ways that we need to respond to this message. I don't know the different ways that this has specific impact or meaning for us, but I do know this.
that you're calling us to a life of faith. And so with the faith that we have this morning in whatever measure, Spirit of God, we all say, here I am. I'll follow you. Jesus, we repent for ways that we've made it our own, where we've lived according to our priority instead of yours, where we've exchanged your mission for ours. We've looked for relationships to serve us instead of you, where we've tried to do all the rest without regularly coming back to the throne of grace to be forgiven, to be washed clean, to be built up, to be transformed. Spirit of God, I ask that you would continue this conversation with us this week. Call forth the the great destiny that you've created us with, created us for, according to your mercy and your loving kindness in Jesus' name.